Welcome to the St Martin's Challenge podcast, where we give a platform to the most vulnerable throughout the world, hosted by me, Lewis Owens. Welcome everyone to uh, another episode. Uh, delighted to welcome His Excellency Rami Mortada, Ambassador of Lebanon to the UK. Ambassador, great to have you on. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Dr. Owens. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure. Um, I want to start by going back to last August um, and the, the terrible blast that happened in Beirut. Um, reports say 215 deaths at least, um, 7,500 injuries, $15 billion of damage, 300,000 homeless. Um, I know you've just returned from a, from a trip to Beirut. How are people there? How are people rebuilding both personally and also structurally? Well, they're uh, hardly trying to recover from the uh, uh, aftermath of this terrible, unprecedented uh, blast, which uh, uh, ravaged uh, nearly half of the city of Beirut. You know, the city of Beirut is a beautiful Mediterranean uh, city. With uh, with all these uh, old uh, districts along the along the coastline, uh, so the, a large part of these uh, of these streets were were ravaged along with the with the seaport. Um, of course, now what's most important is uh, accountability. Is the investigation still going on to uh, to identify the uh, the perpetrators? Uh, we still have to to identify the the root causes of of this uh, blast, whether it was intentional or simply out of uh, an action and uh, and negligence. How far um, how far along the way is the investigation? It's advancing, but you know such investigations are technically very complex. So we're seeking also international uh, expertise in order to. Um, proceed with the investigation. Already, some arrests have been uh, have been ordered by the by the prosecutor, uh, and uh, the public is uh, is watching uh, closely. So I think accountability is very very important, and the recovery uh, reconstruction of the ravaged uh, areas and uh, rebuilding the the seaport. And what makes it even more more difficult is that this blast came um, in the middle of a perfect storm that has been hitting Lebanon for the last two years. So we really didn't need uh, such uh, such a terrible uh, um, incident. Uh, but you know, the the country is resilient. The people haven't lost their uh, their optimism. They're they're uh, they're fighters. Lebanese uh, have uh, have seen. Uh, have seen have seen bad days and have have recovered. So I'm sure this time will not be an, an exception. Sure. And and how are the, the the normal people, the everyday people of of Beirut? How are they coping with this? You know, the the women, the children, schools, hospitals. How are they getting back on their feet? Because um, it was such a devastating blast, wasn't it? It was. It was. And uh, and it hit really the uh, the most. Um, 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 condensed and vibrant districts of the of the city. Four major hospitals were totally uh, ravaged. Uh, two universities, uh, around um, uh, half a million uh, homes. Uh, 
Um, of course, you've got the, the casualties, uh, the families who lost, lost their, their loved ones. So it's a, it's a terrible, uh, it's a terrible um, uh, accident. Uh, but again, the healing process uh, should, should start. It has started, but it will be further um, promoted by, by accountability and identifying the, the whole truth behind this, uh, this, uh, this uh, terrible uh, incident. Sure. You, you mentioned it came, it couldn't have come at a, at a worse time. I mean, there's never a good time for these things to, to happen, but it came obviously with the, uh, the beginning of COVID and you were just, uh, as a country, recovering from those terrible forest fires that you had as well. And then not too long ago, you, you were coming out of a very protracted and, uh, and difficult civil war. You mentioned resilient, uh, resilience. Um, tell me a little bit more about that. You must see that on a, on a daily basis, the resilience of the Lebanese people. Yes, it is a resilient country and the population is, is very resilient. I mean, uh, Lebanon is uh, uh, located in a very difficult neighborhood in, uh, in the region. And it has always been looked at as the black sheep of, uh, of, the, of the region. Um, uh, geography uh, in, in our region is, uh, is a difficult challenge to, to handle. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, with, with time, it created resilience among the, the population who have uh, ambitious uh, horizons. That's why we have, we, we, are, we have a unique situation whereby you have a country with 4 million uh, in terms of population and uh, 12 millions of expat population all over the world. Mm. Uh, rare you can find a country where there is there are no Lebanese well settled and well well integrated and doing well and going back and forth to their country. And this created a richness, a cultural richness, because Lebanese were always keen to get uh, to bring the best of, of the world back back home. So it created like a cultural melting melting spot in the in the country. Uh, it also enhanced the resilient aspect uh, of, of of Lebanon. Um, but you, nevertheless, you must, you must see that in the UK as well. I mean, that there's uh, you must be very um, proud of the the contribution that the Lebanese people make um, make to this country. Yes, we have a British Lebanese community who are, while being proud uh, UK citizens, but yet they've kept their relations with their uh, with their uh, home country, and they go back and forth. And they're uh, also a major economic link because they have investments in in both in both directions. And I'm really proud of their contribution to the. To the UK and uh, and their uh, their um, um, outreach to to their home country in, in Lebanon, and that's a major source of richness to the bilateral relations between Lebanon and the and the UK. Sure. Um, let, let's go back to uh, to Lebanon in, in particular, because like so many countries, you you've been hit with this economic crisis, um, and I know that Lebanon has been hit harder than um, than many others. Um, it, it must be very difficult not only to support um, your own Lebanese people, but you also have a huge number of, of refugees in, in Lebanon, about 1.7 million refugees, I believe, of which 1.5 million are, are Syrian, you have Palestinian. 
what what help do these refugees get? I mean, it must be very difficult to support them in this economic crisis. Exactly, and that's one one uh, one additional aspect of uh, of of the burdens accumulating on the on the Lebanese uh, society. As you rightly said, Lebanon hosts around fifty percent of its population uh, as as refugees between the the Syrian refugees who started. Uh, uh, flooding into Lebanon back in 2011, and prior to that, the Palestinian uh, refugees. Uh, we haven't adopted um, uh, for the Syrian refugees a camp uh, policy uh, because we thought that out of hospitality, we can accommodate them all over the, the country. There are some unofficial assembly points, but practically uh, Syrians are all over the country and they share all the resources with the, uh, with the local, uh, local population. Now, in times of economic crises, this becomes more, more challenging because um, the resources available in the country, they're barely um, sufficient for, the, uh, I mean, for its population. Uh, but we thought that, and we still think that we shouldn't miss the opportunity to show solidarity with the, with the population and hardship, um, I'm referring to the, to the Syrians. Uh, um, I think that the international community should, uh, should increase its assistance to the Syrian refugees. Um, Unfortunately, what we're seeing today is the reverse uh, trend uh, because of COVID. Uh, most uh, international donors have reduced their development assistance, including to the Syria crisis. And this is affecting the daily lives of, uh, of refugees, whether in, uh, in uh, food and shelter or education or, or health and all, their, uh, all the aspects of, of, the, of their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a fascinating scenario. Um, I, I want to go back to to um, an event that, uh, that that you and I hosted a couple of years ago um, yeah. at the embassy. Uh, it was a celebration for for Terry Waite, uh, who remains a, a very good friend to us both. Um, and I was reading, uh, I think yesterday, it's actually thirty five years since John McCarthy was taken hostage in Beirut, and of course John was present uh, with us at that event. Now, obviously, Hezbollah were central to that, um, that situation, and it was very, very tense uh, between the UK and, and, and Lebanon. So on that basis, I guess a couple of questions. Um, first one being, are you, are you pleased with the way that the relationship between Lebanon and the UK has developed? since then and I, I guess that's one of the roles of an ambassador to to build the bridges to heal rifts so are you pleased with the way that things have have progressed over the years not just in your tenureship but also your your predecessors um and the second question really um the the kidnapping of of terry and john was of course very big news for us here in the uk but there are still reports of, of you know, recent um, kidnappings in, in Lebanon. How powerful, how influential are Hezbollah still today in Lebanon? 
Well, uh, regarding your first question, of course, I am um, happy to see that the, um, the bilateral relations between Lebanon and UK have taken over the, the years a uh, very promising turn. Uh, today, we, uh, we have a mutual uh, uh, joint slogan that we raise together. It's shoulder to shoulder. Uh, we have a privileged partnership with the UK on uh, security, on culture. Of course, the political relations are, are excellent, and the UK has always been a considerate partner that understands because of its uh, historic expertise in the region and uh, for different reasons that understands the, the very unique nature of the Lebanese political system and Lebanese social fabric. And that's very, very crucial when dealing with a country like Lebanon, which is, although being a small country, but it's a very complex uh, country. Uh, it's like the vitrine of the, of the region. All the different currents and trends that exist in the Middle East, they micro-exist and coexist in, in Lebanon. Except that in Lebanon, it's more peaceful. There is this moderation effect of the country because it's a small country based on... Uh, on tolerance and entrepreneurship. People have cross-cultural cross relations that they are keen to, to keep. So the UK understands and, and recognizes all these attributes in, in Lebanon. And our partnership has grown immensely in breadth and width recently. We were hoping to, uh, to work uh, additionally on the economic uh, track. Uh, unfortunately, the current crisis in, in Lebanon, which has been going on for the last two years, uh, referring to the economic and monetary crisis, has not allowed for the visionary outlook that uh, we had hoped for two years ago. Um, we fell back into crisis management rather than, than the, uh, the privileged partner, trade partner of the region that we were looking at, uh, at, um, at um, I mean, uh, establishing for the UK in the, in the region. Uh, but I think the potential is still, is still very, very high. One day we will resume uh, what has been interrupted uh, because of the uh, economic crisis and Lebanon remains an important country in its region for geopolitical uh, reasons, but also because of what I call this, uh, this culture of, of tolerance, uh, which is a model that could be replicated in the, in the region. It's a region that is badly um, and, and um, uh, desperately looking for, for a way to uh, to build consensus, to, to establish a peaceful living together between all its components. Lebanon has provided a model, although it's not the ideal model, but in relative terms, it has worked. Of course, there were some, some uh, difficult chapters in our modern history. You referred to the kidnappings. Uh, this is a very sad chapter that we would like to see it uh, closed. It is closed. Uh, and um, since the civil war ended back in 1990, uh, we managed to rebuild our social fabric and then to mend the, the relations that were broken during the, the civil war. 
Um, so on again on the uh, UK Lebanon partnership, uh, I think we have a very solid bedrock of uh, proximity and of uh, mutual uh, understanding. Uh, and I always say that the UK has a potential in Lebanon that could be uh, that 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 could be underexploited, and there is always room to do to do better. Um, and that's what uh, what I hope that we will see in the in the coming future. On your uh, second question, you ask about uh, Hezbollah. Um, well, Hezbollah has uh, has uh, two, if you want, two dimensions. Uh, that's the way it's looked at in uh, in Lebanon. First, it's a political party that has a very wide popular uh, approbation in its uh, constituency. It's elected in the parliament. It has a considerable parliamentary bloc, uh, which uh, in our constitution allows it to be part of the uh, of the executive branch. Uh, the other dimension is the armed di dimension. This is, uh, I think, uh, what is uh, what you're referring to in terms of being uh, controversial. You have different views in Lebanon regarding whether Hezbollah should or should not keep its, uh, its arms. Um, originally, uh, Hezbollah or the precursor of Hezbollah, because when, when Terry Waite uh, was kidnapped, Hezbollah was not officially, officially established uh, yet. Um, so when the uh, the arm arm uh, um, track started, uh, the country or twenty five percent of Lebanon was under occupation, was under Israeli occupation, and occupation that lasted for twenty five years. Um, so it started. Uh, Hezbollah started with these local uh, locals in South Lebanon, which were under uh, occupation. Which decided to take arms to to liberate their their occupied uh, territories. Now, later on, things took a different term. We entered into the um, this the complications of the region. As I said, it's not an it's not an easy easy region to I mean to to live in. Um, today, we are uh, in a situation where because of the dimension I referred to. Of Hezbollah being a politically a political party, uh, we want to deal with the issue uh, through dialogue and uh, and consensus. Of course, while defining the final destination we want to reach, which is establishing an, uh, a strong empowered uh, state, uh, which uh, which aims at monopolizing the use of force, uh, as all states do. Mm -hmm. But has Hezbollah um, were um, or I assume the the armed part of Hezbollah were, were officially designated a terrorist group by the by the U.S. government and I believe the U.K. government too. Yes, the U.K. until 2018 was differentiating between the political branch and the, um, and the military branch. Uh, so in 2018, they decided to proscribe both, to add the, the, uh, the political branch to the already proscribed military branch uh, on, on, the, on the terrorist uh, list. 
Um, we, at the time, we did not see totally eye to eye because, as I said, it, uh, it complicates our, our internal political dynamics because we're referring to a party that is, uh, that is elected by the people. And that's the basic, um, I mean, um, pillar of democracy, which is to, to respect people's choice, regardless of whether you, uh, I mean, you subscribe to it or, or not. But for us, as the state of Lebanon, we have this, um, this I mean, this uh, political map and uh, we recognize that Hezbollah is uh, as, a, as, a, as an elected uh, elected party. Mm -hmm. um, you refer to some kidnapping, recent kidnappings. I'm not aware uh, of, uh, of 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 these cases in particular, but uh, uh, this um, I mean the the Terry Wait um, uh, sad chapter for us is is closed, and if there are any cases, we we would be definitely looking at them and making sure that this would never happen again. We have uh, very strong uh, security uh, institutions, the Lebanese army, which is by the way, a very privileged partner of, uh, of the UK uh, um, defense forces, um, that this, this institution, the Lebanese army, it enjoys wide popular approbation. It's a, democratically controlled um, um, military and uh, they're um, playing today a very crucial role in maintaining uh, security and stability in the in the country. Um, let's talk a little bit about the future because next year I believe is, is quite an important year. You have elections uh, coming up I believe in in May. Um, reason to be hopeful for, for the Lebanese people? Yes, elections are always welcome. And since the last elections took place in 2018, many things have uh, come up. So it would be good to, to, to I mean, to test the mood uh, of the people again and, uh, and to let them uh, choose their, uh, their representatives. You know that since 2019, we've been witnessing a protest movement in Lebanon, mainly people infuriated by the um, decaying uh, economic situation, which culminated in October 2019 by this um, um, uh, closure of the banks for two weeks, which subsequently led to a run on the banks. And then uh, the, um, well, all the, the domino effect, which led today to um, uh, people's um, uh, bank accounts are, are just um, like closed and suspended. And there is a de facto capital uh, control because uh, the run of on the banks um, uh, made it that uh, the people do not have access to all their deposits. Um, this is of course the tip of the iceberg. Uh, underneath there is a succession of flowed financial and economic uh, practices that need to be redressed and addressed. And that's what we hope to, to do, hopefully before the elections, but if not, people will, 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 will decide. And uh, there needs to be a government that uh, addresses these, these immense challenges uh, seriously uh, and uh, reposition Lebanon on the international financial map again. Mm -hmm. Sure. Just just bringing this to a to a 
close with a with a couple of final questions. Um, I know there's a lot of wonderful um, Lebanese charities out there that do do an awful lot of good work. Uh, are there a couple that um, you think are particularly worthy of mention? Yes, since the uh, I mean, since the um, the start of uh, this crisis, uh, well, already there were uh, in, in, in the UK some Lebanese charities uh, working. Uh, um, um, in, a, in a very active way uh, within the community and sometimes jointly be between Lebanese and, and, the, and the British uh, friends. But particularly after the economic crisis, uh, this effort intensified um, to help, for example, Lebanese students because they are heavily challenged. As I said, there is a de facto capital control so their families back in Lebanon they cannot send them money anymore because their bank accounts are are suspended and these students found themselves in, uh, in hardship and uh, in, in real hardship because they had planned for their education uh, and, and um, uh, during the process the situation changed. So there are a couple of charities that uh, help students. I'm referring, for example, to the British Lebanese Association. I'm referring to a charity, uh, to an initiative that we've launched at the embassy called um, Step Together Lebanon, uh, which uh, aims at raising, collecting funds to help uh, students. Uh, we were very active during the uh, last year lockdown. Uh, when the when the Beirut airport closed and, and students could not go back to the country and they were cut off their families who couldn't send them money. So we were active in trying to, to help them. So we're trying to find some accommodation schemes to, to help our, our students. And I think that's a, that, that's a crucial track because uh, we shouldn't allow this crisis in Lebanon to affect the whole generation in terms of its education. Lebanese were, were always keen to grant their, their children the best uh, top uh, world education. Mm -hmm. uh, this, uh, this is very important for the future of the country. Sure, sure. Well, let, let's end on a, uh, on a light-hearted note. Going back to the event that... Um, we did in the embassy. I presented Terry with a beautiful book, huge book that um, contained lots of images of sceneries and, and landscapes of, of, of Lebanon. I've never been. It's certainly on my bucket list. If there were two places in Lebanon that you tell me that I must visit for their beauty, share them, share them with us now. Where should I visit? Where should anyone visit in Lebanon? Well, I give you the... the um, um... I mean, the, uh, the most obvious for me answer, it's uh, the two cities in Lebanon. One is Balbek, which is in the Bekaa Valley, the, the, wine, the wine region, mm -hmm. and which hosts one of the most magnificent Roman uh, temples in the world. Actually, actually, it's the best kept Roman temple on the, in, the, in the world. It's magnificent. Uh, so that's, uh, that's a place to, to visit. Okay. And the other one is Biblos. Biblos, we Lebanese, you know, our ancestors' definitions, we, proud, we pride ourselves that we've given the alphabet to, to the world. So that's uh, where the first uh, alphabet ship 
left from the shores of, of Biblos, uh, which has a beautiful historic harbor and uh, nice restaurants and excellent fish, by the way. Mm -hmm. So this is, in short, your, uh, I mean, part of your of your bucket list uh, to visit it, Lebanon. It, and it, I it, invite it, everyone it to, is. yeah, I invite everyone to come and see the country. It's, uh, it's a beautiful uh, country, very compact, but yet very diverse. Uh, and uh, it caters to all tastes, as they as they say. Fantastic. Well, it, it certainly is on, on my bucket list. And, and hopefully when when you know, travel is allowed again. I'll, I, I might make the trip over. But Ambassador Rami Mortada, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you for speaking so openly and honestly, and uh, and, and for sharing your your thoughts with us. Thanks ever so much Thank for coming. Thank you so on. much. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.